This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast presented by John Deere. Tim McMaster here along with, as always, MLB Pipeline.com's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And guys, we are less than a month away from the beginning of the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, so things are really heating up. And obviously, this is the time where you see more and more mock drafts. And Jonathan, you are piecing together your first mock draft of the season. How's that going? It's going. Uh, <laughs> I've got a name in every first round slot. So, you know, that's a win. Um, and the way I always uh, I've, I've used this metaphor probably to, to death at this point. But at this stage, um, I, I liken it to uh, that, that old game Mastermind with the colored pegs where you have to guess the colors and, then, and the order. So right now I just want the right colored pegs. And as we get closer, I, you know, I, I, I try to really get the order right. So it's not, not that I'm not trying to get the order right now, but it's just four weeks before draft time. Um, it's such a volatile thing that it's, it's hard to really pinpoint. So I hope that most of the guys that I have on, on the mock that will uh, appear on Friday are guys who will end up going somewhere in the first round if not to the specific team. And I know you guys have a competition every year. Um, we do. And when, when, do you have, when do you officially put in those picks? Is that like a minute before the draft starts? Or so you get a, you know, what, when is the deadline to get your picks in? We usually have to agree because there's, there's, we're both on the MLB Network show and there's different responsibilities we have in the afternoon. So we usually set a time. Like we can't go up to the minute because you're, you're getting ready for the broadcast and, and there's too much going on. But it's usually, I don't know, a couple hours before the draft begins. Does that sound right, Jonathan? Yeah, there's usually like one – we'll send in something late night the night before uh, – and then we usually now, because with the draft at night, it didn't always used to be that way, uh, we send in one, like, just names, an update, a couple of hours before the broadcast starts, and we usually use uh, that one for our, our, our official scorekeeping purposes. Now, when you're doing a mock draft, obviously a lot of things go into it, not just who should be, who you think should be picked where, but obviously who the team is leaning towards. How much do you have to stop yourself from, from going with what you think should happen and stick to the people you're talking to and, and the things you're hearing about from each team? I think that's the toughest part is you talk to enough people about the players, so you get their opinions and you form your own opinions on players. And, you, you, you know, the, the mock draft, you're trying to pick who's going where, so it shouldn't be what you think. And I still – I think sometimes I, I kick myself for – you know, not relying or or just kind of I don't even know if the, what the right word is being maybe you know like getting a little enamored of a player and then just case in point last year uh, I'll, I'll just uh, kind of toot my own horn here I could have had the first 11 picks in a row right if I'd gone with Preston Tucker at number five to the Astros 
I mean, not Preston Tucker, good God. Kyle Tucker, number five to the Astros, which we heard all spring. But I started to get some late word on Andrew Benintendi maybe being in that mix, and I thought they were going to take Daz Cameron with their supplemental first-rounder so they wouldn't go with two high schoolers. I was all aboard the Andrew Benintendi bandwagon, and I should have just gone with what I had heard for much of the spring and put Tucker at number five. I think that's the toughest part is – if there's a guy, not that I didn't like Kyle Tucker, but there's either a guy you really like a lot. Like, like this year, I think I, I think I like Jordan Sheffield more than most teams do, and I'll probably be trying to jam Jordan Sheffield too high on my mock draft when I do it because of it. And, and it's just tough kind of trying to, to keep those feelings down and go more with what you think is going to happen than what should happen. Uh, we are going to kind of, well, over the next month before the draft, we'll kind of cover this draft from every angle, I guess. But today's angle is to uh, go position by position, and you guys are going to say who, who you think is going to be the first guy at that position to go in the draft. So obviously you've got to take into account stuff like that, which team's drafting where, but, but also just the, the best player with, I guess, the best helium at this point. Got to use the word helium there, John. Yeah, I know you like that. I could tell you were excited about that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go position by position. So I'll set you guys up. We'll bounce back and forth. Um, but let's start with the arms, and let's start with the right-handed pitchers, and obviously there's college guys and high school guys. Jonathan, we'll start with you. Right-handed pitcher at the college level. Who's going to go first? Boy, you picked – starting off with uh, one of the, I think, the weaker spots in terms of, of the top of, of the draft. College right-hander, and I have a bit of an advantage because I – I've laid out a, uh, a mock draft already. Uh, I'm going to say that the first college right-hander to go off the board will be Dakota Hudson of Mississippi State. Uh, and uh, he's been a little bit up and down, but it uh, says something about uh, the, the nature of that crop, uh, usually a, you know, very highly regarded, er, you know, taken early. There's not a lot of upper-level college righties this year. He makes the all te- the all name team as well. You have to love Dakota Hudson. I mean, that sounds like a movie star or something. Yeah, there's really no Carson Fulmer or Dylan Tate in this year's draft. Yeah, Dakota got off to a great start, kind of slumped for about a month. And, and, and scouts I've talked to say he got away from throwing his cutter, which which is one of the best pitches in the draft. Um, and but he was he was good last weekend. And I agree with Jonathan. I think it's Dakota Hudson. You know, I, you know, I just mentioned Jordan Sheffield, but I, I think Dakota Hudson's going ahead of him. I think he's going ahead of Connor Jones. I, I think that one, even though he's not going to necessarily go as high as the typical college, top college right-hander might go, I think he's kind of the clear front-runner right now. All right, let's stay with the right-handers, but we'll switch to the, the prep level, high school level. And, Jim, you get to go first this time. Who's the first high school right-hander off the board? I think this one's pretty easy. Um although I don't think he's going to go as high as he's ranked on the MLB Pipeline Top 100. I think it's Riley Pint from Kansas, the number two prospect on the Pipeline Top 100. I mean, the, 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 you know, the, yes, there are concerns that, you know, he doesn't, you know, the command kind of fluctuates. He doesn't always repeat his delivery, but he's athletic. He's got multiple-plus pitches. You know, I worry a little bit that he throws so hard, and the young guys who throw really hard and get up to, you know, 100 miles an hour seem to blow out. Not that I'm a doctor or have any great medical training, but you just happen to see that a lot. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a concern, too. But I think it's clearly Riley Pint and, you know, Ian Anderson in New York, 
you know, he's not pitched a lot this year. Force Whitley from Texas has been very good. But I, I can't see anybody getting picked ahead of Riley Pint. Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly the guy. Uh, you know, there's, there, there actually are some good high school right-handers, uh, you know, and, and they – tend to float downward a little bit as teams are ready, you know, when they're really figuring it out, the risk scares some teams up. But there, there's, a, you know, four or five high school right-handers who could go really high. And you know, Ian Anderson uh, up in upstate New York, Matt Manning in Northern California, uh, are all guys who will probably uh, go, you know, pretty well in, in the first round. But I think Pint is, the, is easily the, the choice uh, to, to come off first. All right, let's move over to the southpaws now. And I know when you talk about the left-handers in this draft, you are talking about guys who could go with that number one overall pick. And, Jonathan, let's start with the college left-handers because, you know, there's that one guy who could go number one but doesn't seem to, to, to be putting himself there, doesn't seem to be doing quite enough down the stretch to maybe get there, right? Yeah, that's A.J. Puck of, of Florida, and, and you hit the, the nail on the head. Uh, I, I think – you know, heading into this spring, the Phillies were really hoping that he would separate himself and become that slam dunk uh, dominant college pitcher uh, to, to be the easy decision at number one. And he still could go number one, uh, but uh, there's just been some question marks. He hasn't always dominated. He's not even the ace on his own staff. Uh, the pure stuff is really, really good. He put together a couple starts where it looked like he was starting to click, and then last week, uh, his start was just awful. Now, you don't make a decision based on one start, but it, it certainly, you know, feeds into that, uh, the, the question marks around him. Uh, so, you know, it's very much up in the air whether or not he's still uh, the guy the Phillies take it at number one. He's still in their mix. Uh, but I think it's possible he's on the outside looking in at this point. But he is the, the, the top college lefty in the class. Jim, you agree? It's, it's, he may not go one, but he'll be the first college lefty? Yeah, I think it's pretty much a lock. I mean, barring some kind of injury, uh, he, you know, everything Jonathan said is correct. His his inconsistency can be kind of frustrating to teams that want to pick him at the very top of the draft. But, you know, I think the second best college lefty is probably Kent State's Eric Lauer, who's had a very good year. But Eric Lauer is going to go toward the end of the first round, and AJ Puck's going to go before that. Uh, Jim, the MLB Pipeline Top 100, the number one spot, belongs to a high school lefty. Is he going to be the first lefty taken from the high school ranks? I will only give you a probably, Tim. Okay. Um, wow. I think there's a very good chance. I mean, he is our top prospect. You're also his biggest defender against the state of New Jersey. So. Well, that was ridiculous, and we don't <laughs> want to make the podcast an hour long, so I won't get into that again. But, you know, I mean, I, I will say – I do think it's possible that there's a scenario where, you know, there are you know some makeup issues with Jason Groom. The teams are trying to figure out a little bit, and Braxton Garrett has been from Alabama has been, even though his stuff's not in the same class, has been so good every time out, so consistent, does it so easy, was great at the NHSI that I don't think it's impossible that there might be a scenario where Braxton Garrett went ahead of Jason Groom. That said, I, I still think Jason Groom will be the first lefty taken. And, Jonathan, obviously you were, you were there at the NHSI with me, and we saw what, what Garrett could do, eight innings of uh, shutout baseball. Yeah, he's pretty good, uh, <laughs> and he is very positive. He almost pitches like a college lefty. Um, but, you know, 
groomed. There's some questions there. We'll see. Uh, but I, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't go first. Now, both could go in the top ten. I think that's a distinct possibility. So uh, that should, should be a, a, lot of, a lot of fun to, to watch come draft day. So you're both going to go with groom, but not a slam dunk at this point. We'll see how things continue to develop. All right, let's move on to some uh, to the position players, and we won't go with every position, but we'll break it down to uh, corner infielders and middle infielders. And let's start with the middle infielders. So second baseman and, and shortstops, which I assume is is going to be shortstops, just the way the draft works out. By jo- Jonathan, let's start with you. Top middle infielder off the board. Uh- I think it's probably going to be Delvin Perez from Puerto Rico, uh, you know, who unfairly uh, is getting the Carlos Correa uh, comps, um, which is hard to say five times fast. But, uh, you know, he, he, he's not as polished as Correa uh, was coming out for sure, but he has tremendous tools and uh, maybe as much upside as anybody in the draft class. Uh, you know, his name is being mentioned all over the top ten. Uh, I think the the possibility of him going uh, somewhere in the middle of that uh, is a distinct possibility, and uh, he is clearly the the first uh, middle infielder by by a lot. I think who's going to come off the board. Now he's uh, he's just 17 years old, obviously now getting getting drafted out of the the prep ranks. Um, Carlos Correa moved quickly through the Astros system. You mentioned that Perez isn't as polished. Is he going to be a guy that maybe takes a little longer to get to the big league level, Jim? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I was waiting for you to make a winger reference when you when you were speaking about 17 there. Very disappointed <laughs> in you, Tim. But, yeah, no, it's – and they get – I don't even think people really compare them. They get kind of, I think, lumped together maybe by – Right. Lazy media, which I'm not accusing Jonathan or I of being. I mean, yes, he's a Puerto Rican shortstop. He's not Carlos Correa. No, nobody in any doubts Carlos Correa would hit, and that's a question on Perez. He might have the he might have the highest ceiling in this draft if everything came together. I mean, you could you could have a superstar there in Delvin Perez. I think he, it's a bad year for middle infielders. He, he's clearly the top pick. Uh, you know, I'm racking my brain. I mean, the, the second pick. Might be somebody like Gavin Lux from Wisconsin, it, you know, maybe Noni Williams from Kansas. It's just not a good year for middle infielders. And on the college side, Jonathan, I mean, you know, maybe Bryson Brigman, um, I, I guess, who, who probably yeah. going to have to move from shortstop CJ, to second from San CJ, Diego. Right. Yeah, C.J. Chatham from Florida Atlantic's gotten some buzz lately. But we're talking – Late second you know, rounders. Second, second round type guys, yeah. I mean, they'll get reached for because they're college guys, but there's not much there for sure. What a difference a year makes, right, guys? I mean, last yep. year, that top of that first round, the top five picks, it was just like, it was one shortstop after another. We saw both high school and college, and, and now it's just a completely different story. So if you're a team that needed a shortstop, I hope you got one last year. Hmm. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the corner infielders, so uh, third or first base. Uh, and Jim, I'll go back to you to, for this one to, to kick things off. Who's the first corner infielder off the uh, off the board? Um, I think it's going to be Nick Senzel from Tennessee. I think this is another easy call. You know, maybe Joshua Lowe um, will come close, but I, I think Senzel is a college guy who was as good as any hitter in the Cape Cod League last summer. Has had a a, a solid year on, on a bad Tennessee club. He's he's taken walks when he's been pitched around. Uh, the, there's power in there. You see it more in BP during the games. That would be kind of the knock on him. You you wish you saw a little bit more game power. But 
you know, he's got a good approach. He's got bat speed. He's got strength. He's proven he can play third base. That was a question coming into the year. Uh, you know, I think he probably goes somewhere in the, I mean, first five to ten picks. Um, you know, Jonathan, you're working on the latest mock. And what do you think the, the ceiling is for Senzel? draft-wise. I mean, he's still in the right. I mean, depending on the team, maybe he winds up being the first college position player taken, although personally I think I'd probably take him third behind Kyle Lewis and Corey Ray. Uh, yeah, and uh, not giving away too much from my mock, I have him between those two. Um, okay. But uh, he could go as high as, you know, top couple of picks, uh, I think. Um, but I think it's, uh, you know, I, I agree with Jim that Senzel is the top guy. Um, somewhere in that top 10, uh, the advanced hitting helps him. Uh, if you want to pick a high school guy, if, if I'm going to pick a corner infield, the guy who will play corner infielder, it, it's looking like Josh Lowe has some, some steam as a high schooler out of Georgia, um, who was a two-way guy and uh, played a very good third base when all said and done. Uh, he, he will probably be the first High school corner infielder I have in my mock draft anyway coming off the board. All right, let's move on to uh, to catchers. And I know when we when we talk about the drafting catchers, the the one thing that you always hear year after year is this guy can really hit, but it's a question as to whether or not he can stay behind the plate. And and it, it happens over and over and over again whether the guy can can catch at the professional level. Um, so let's talk about who the first catcher is going to be off the board, and then we can get into the discussion of whether or not that guy is going to end up being a catcher in the long run. But, Jonathan, your turn. Now, let me preface by sort of tackling that uh, second part a little bit, is that uh, anybody who takes this guy really highly thinks at least he has a chance to catch, and, and that's Zach Collins uh, of the University of Miami. Um, he can really hit. Uh, he's had one of the better years offensive production-wise. So teams that care about college numbers will uh, will like him. Uh, you know, he his name is being sprinkled all over the place. Not necessarily as uh, the top choice, but you know there are teams in the top ten that are are looking at him as a as a possibility. And it's largely because of the bat. You know, and it's one of those deals where you you know I think you send him out as a catcher. Uh, and see how it works. And if it doesn't, uh, you feel confident enough that the bat will work well enough at, say, first base. Uh, you know, there are questions about any of the of the college catchers, uh, and there isn't a high school catcher uh, who's really a first-round uh, type of guy. Uh, but the top college guys, Zach Collins and, and you know, Matt Thias uh, at University of Virginia, are, both are guys – who there are question marks about their ability to catch. But I think more people think Zach Collins can catch, and they really think he can hit. And that's why I think he probably goes somewhere in the top 15 picks. Jim, you agree with that? I think Zach Collins will be the first player who currently plays catcher who gets drafted. (laughs) There you go. I am (laughs) probably less confident from the people I've talked to then Jonathan is that he'll catch. I've talked to a lot of people who think he has no chance to catch, but the bat's pretty special. Um, I I don't think either he or Thice wind up being a long-term catcher at the big league level. I I think they both go in the first round for their bats. It's tough. I mean, if you're looking for a guy who's a lock to stay behind the plate, I think the first pick might be Chris Oakey from Clemson. 
Um, although I'm not sure he, he he's more of a kind of average across the board type of guy than a standout in any one particular area. You got Sean Murphy from Wright State, who probably has the best arm in this draft, best catch arm. Uh, but the, the receiving, you know, it's fine. It's it's not special, and, and there's questions on his bat. I mean, he'll stay a catcher, but I don't necessarily think he goes ahead of Oki. And then you've got Ben Rortvid is probably the best high school catching prospect, and he's more of an offensive guy than a defensive guy, although people seem to think he'll be able to stay behind the plate. It's not – there are a lot of catchers who will go early. You, know, you, you have some extreme defensive guys with questions about their bat, and, and Cooper Johnson, a high schooler from Illinois, and Jake Rogers from Tulane. Uh, you know, we may see six or seven guys drafted as catchers in the first you know couple rounds, but there's – very few of these guys that you look at and you say, boy, he, he really gets the job done on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and this happens, it seems like, every year, and it really makes you realize how hard it is to catch. I mean, yeah. it's just, and to be able to hit two at that level for guys to go high in the draft. And, and the special guys with bats that ha we have seen, I mean, obviously, Bryce Harper was a catcher at one point. Kyle Schwarber was a catcher at one point, but it just began, you know, until the injury, I think the Cubs still maybe somewhere in the back of their minds had an inkling that he would catch a little bit, but, but probably not now with the knee injury. But it's just, what is it about, about combining the skills of catching and being able to hit that you don't see these guys um, that, that really stand out year to year? It's, it seems like there's barely anyone that is drafted as a special bat that it, people are confident will stay behind the plate. Was there a question in there somewhere? No, no, it's fine. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I think it's just the physical demands of catching are so tough that you're beat up, you're not in the lineup as much as you're going to be if you're playing a different position, and you're not physically 100%. Plus, all the things that go into catching, it's it's not just you know throwing and receiving. It's working with pitchers. You I mean you you have to devote a lot of time to that. You're the catcher as a position player is devoting, I think, by far the least amount of time to his offense than any other position and so you know and then the you know you just you know holding up is difficult too you know by the time you get to the second half of the season you're worn out and you know it's I, I was pretty vociferous not as much as I was against the New Jersey High School Athletic Association with Groom that I, I just for me if I were the Cubs, I wouldn't have fooled around with Kyle Schwarber, a catcher, because I think at best he was going to be an adequate catcher. And I'd rather have his—I'd rather have Kyle Schwarber, 100% of his offensive capabilities in my lineup, 130 or 140 times a year, than maybe having him at 75% of his offensive capabilities, you know, 100 times a year, and giving me below-average defense behind the plate. So, what you were alluding to, Tim, I, I think in some ways it might be a positive for the Cubs because I think it's going to end that talk of Kyle Schwarber catching and you can just play him in left field 140 times a year. And then another kind of unexpected benefit, with him being hurt, you're going to be able to give more at-bats to a guy like Javier Baez and find out what you have in him that he might have had a hard time getting if Kyle Schwarber didn't get hurt. So I just think it's a lot to ask of a guy to be, you know, a good defensive catcher and a good offensive catcher at the same time. It just doesn't happen very often, which is why, you know, a guy like a Buster Posey is is so valuable when, when you, or Yadier Molina when you actually find a guy like that. Yeah, there's certainly few and far between. Anything to add to that, Jonathan? No, I think that's it. You know, and some of these guys that moved, you know, could they have been decent catchers? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that Bryce Harper ever would have been a great catcher, but you know what? He, he, he might have been okay. Uh, Will Myers spent the full season in the minors 
uh, catching and actually hit a ton while he was catching before they, they moved him, and he improved. Again, maybe he would have been an average catcher at best, uh, but you, know, you, you get the bat to the big league so, so much more quickly if you don't have to worry about not just the wear and tear, but as Jim pointed out, all the, uh, uh, all the nuances of catching. You know, guys that come from the college ranks like Zach Collins uh, you know, in this year's draft class Largely don't even you know have any experience calling their own game, so they have to learn that stuff too. So uh, it, it is a lot to expect, and I think that's why it happens so infrequently that a guy is uh, good on both sides of the ball. All right, let's move on to our final position. That'll be the outfield, and I know in your guys' top ten right now of the top hundred draft prospects, four of them are outfielders. There's both college and high school guys in there. Of those guys in the mix, Jim, who's going to be the first outfielder taken? I think this is the most wide open because you have a number of candidates. I, I think it's Kyle Lewis from Mercer. Um, and, and I would, you know, if you asked me, and I, I think you did when we recorded some video at, at a very cold Wrigley Field on Monday, <laughs> who I would take number one, I would take Kyle Lewis number one right now because I think he's got floor, he's got ceiling. Yes, he's at a small school, but he hit well in the Cape. He's making more contact this year. He has a chance to play center. He maybe winds up in right. you got to love the power. He can really hit. He's athletic for a big guy. Some similarities between him and Jason Hayward physically. So for me, I, I think Kyle Lewis will be the first outfielder taken, and he would be the first player of any position I would take. But that said, and I'll let Jonathan expound more on these guys, Corey Ray from Louisville could go ahead of Kyle Lewis. Uh, Mickey Moniak, high school outfielder from California, could go ahead of Kyle Lewis. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's impossible that all three of those guys, depending on what happens, I, I don't think you're going to see the high school pitchers go super early. There aren't other positions. Those three guys all might go in the top five picks. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm looking at my, my mock now, and I actually have in the top 15 – uh, let me see, uh, one, two, I think five outfielders, uh, six. Um, one's a little bit of a surprise, but uh, you know, the guys that Jim mentioned are all, are all there. Um, I think as of right now, Kyle Lewis is the, also is the, is the first one to come off the board, uh, and he could go in the top two picks uh, easily. Um, Mickey Moniak, the, the high school outfielder, uh, is probably – He's always been well thought of, but uh, has as much uh, helium, there you go, Tim, um, as, as anybody in the draft. And he's, he's moved himself up into the into top five pick range. So he, he, he might be the first high school outfielder to come off the board. But I think Lewis, Ray, Moniak, uh, Rutherford, uh, maybe, maybe Rutherford's a, a half step behind the, the other high school outfielder, uh, are all – within spitting distance of each other. All right, guys, great stuff. And obviously the draft coming up June 9th, 10th, and 11th. You can catch the first round with Jonathan and Jim on MLB Network, also MLB.com, uh, the night of June 9th, and then rounds 2 through 10 on Friday uh, when I get involved a little bit, and then it carries on on Saturday with the, uh, the lightning rounds. But you can catch all of that on MLB.com, and we'll find out if these picks, and obviously it's going to change over the next month, but how right you guys are. And we, on day two, will definitely get into who won between you guys as far as the first-round picks go. So we, we always make sure we get that in uh, on day two. 
Yeah, well, even more important than that, Tim, I hope you've begun your thorough research into college seniors for around 6 through 10. So please get started on that if you have not. I actually have, believe it or not, because that's, uh, you know, if, if I can add something, it's a few college seniors. I'll do my best, guys. All right, this is going to, that'll do it for another edition of the Pipeline podcast presented by John Deere. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.